Wonderful. It's fantastic to see you all here this morning, gents. Uh, well done for making it, um, especially if this is your first time to Burning Man. Um, my name is Pat Allerton. I help uh, run this ministry. Um, and uh, we kicked off two weeks ago. We had an excellent session with Rico Tice. And just wanted to mention that we secured, Rico's recently written a book, getting his thoughts on evangelism down on paper. And um, the best thing about it, I think, is it's, it's short. And uh, John Ash from St. Michael's just said that he happened to read it in an hour, which I was very impressed by. So if you want a happy read on your way, or challenging read on your way into work this morning, you can pick up a copy. They're going for just £5. They, they retail at 8 so there's a real saving. They're just on your way out there, uh, £5 uh, a copy. And on the topic of £5, just a reminder that Burning Man Sessions, uh, we encourage a £5 donation if you can afford it. Or you can pay up front for the whole term, seven sessions at a saving of £5 for just £30. So we'll put a box out by the door on your way out. Um, it would be wonderful if you could help support the ministry in that way. Um, our speaker this morning is Christopher Ash. We're thrilled to have Christopher with us. And I just said, warned him beforehand that I'd love to invite him up just to ask him a couple of questions um, about who he is, what he does, um, by way of introduction. So good morning, Christopher. Good morning, Pat. Uh, would you like to tell us what it is you, you do in the day? Uh, you're director of the Cornhill Training Course. Could you perhaps outline your vision, your passion with that, what it's about, and perhaps how these men could potentially even get involved? Very gladly. Yes, the, the Cornhill Training Course has a very, very simple aim, which is to help to equip people to teach or preach the Bible. And the conviction underlying it is that when in churches like here at St. Michael's, and uh, I'm sure other churches represented here, when the Bible is faithfully opened up week by week, people's lives are changed by the Spirit of God, and uh, uh, not just individuals, but communities are changed. So we, we run this Bible training course um, four days a week, and uh, we have, oh, I suppose, about 90 or 100. Many of them are apprentices in, in churches, uh, others are people doing, who, who've gone part-time in their, their normal jobs, and a few come full-time from overseas. Most people do it over two years, so they come to us for two days a week. We're, we're in, um, near London Bridge Station. They come for a couple of days, uh, and then the, uh, another couple of days the second year. And uh, we work really hard. We don't set any written work, which is a, a big plus for a number of people, but we set a lot of spoken work. So we, 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 we say to people, here's a Bible passage, work at it, and then open it up to us as well and as clearly as you can. And then we um, go, go through it with them, saying ways in which it was good and ways in which it might be improved. Um, so that's what we do. I'm very passionate about it. It's very simple. Um, we, we, we're just saying, uh, if churches teach and preach the Bible, lives change. Um, and when churches give up teaching and preaching the Bible, um, th th things become powerless. Fantastic. Thanks, Christopher. Well, I did it full-time for a year and can say that of seven years theological input, I think the Cornhill training course was the, the best year of input I had and most helpful. So if there's any way of you getting involved doing it on the side, I think there's a summer, a week summer course you can even do, uh, then I do encourage you to. Um, and finally, what does Christopher Ash do to relax in his spare time, if there is such a thing. There is, yeah, yeah. I, I like playing tennis, and I haven't played for about 10 years in London, but I'm hoping when we move 
to out of London in July to join a tennis club again and start again, a little geriatric. And I follow Swansea City Football Club. So if there's any Arsenal supporters, ha. Um, it's quite satisfactory. We've had the double over Manchester United and Arsenal this, this, this year. So um, that's a slightly eccentric team to support, but I do. Excellent. Can I pray for you? And then we'll kick off. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, um, for the chance to gather freely in your name and look at your words. And we thank you for Christopher being with us today, for his gifts, his passion, his love for you, his love for your word. We pray that your spirit would direct him, be with him, speak through him to us this morning and move in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pat, very much. Thank you for coming early in the morning. It's uh, really good to be with you. I'd be very glad if you would turn uh, in the Bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy, to, to Timothy. It's uh, in these church Bibles. It's page 1195, 1195. And uh, Pat has asked me to kick off what he, I think is the beginning of a little series on to Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy. So I'm going to read chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, 
with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Friends, the question I want to ask to get us thinking along the right lines as we begin is this, and it's a slightly awkward question to ask in this particular gathering, and it's the question, what kind of church leader ought you to trust? It's awkward because several of us here are involved in church leadership, and we may be feeling just a touch vulnerable. But it's a really important question. What kind of church leader should you trust? It's an important question, isn't it? If you you move to a different place, you move to a different town or city or village, and you you look around for a church to to, to join and settle in, and you you think, I'm going to look at the leadership and think, is this leadership I could trust? It's, It's important in our churches to which we belong at the moment. If I I trust them, I'm going to encourage them in their work. I'm going to support them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to encourage them to go on doing what they are doing. And of course, for some people, it may be they're thinking, not sure that I do trust them. That's that's a possibility. And of course, for those of us who are entrusted with church leadership, it's a sobering question. What sort of church leader should we be? And uh, Paul writes his second letter to Timothy. It's a very moving letter. Paul is in chains. Just glance, if you would, at uh, chapter 1, verse 16. You see Paul refers there to someone not ashamed of his chains. He's in prison in Rome. If you've read the Acts of the Apostles, you'll know that at the end of the Acts of the Apostles, he's under house arrest in Rome, And it doesn't seem too bad. People can come and see him, and it all seems quite relaxed. But this is a later imprisonment. He's in chains. He's he's the lowest of the low, and it's really tough. He's an old man. He's probably going to die soon. He's expecting that. He's under trial. And he's writing to Timothy, who describes in verse 2 as his dear son. He's not literally his, his physical son, but his spiritual son. Timothy is a younger missionary colleague of whom Paul is hugely fond and he hands the baton over to Timothy in this letter. Handley Mole who was a great um, uh, evangelical bishop of Durham some years ago used to say that he could he could only read to Timothy this letter with, 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 with tears welling up in his eyes. It was so moving to see this picture of the, 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 the frail Um, older apostle facing death, handing the baton to this younger leader. And he says to this younger leader, it's it's a personal letter to to Timothy, the younger leader, but it's an open letter. Just glance, if you would, at the last verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 22, where Paul says to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, your singular, you, Timothy, your spirit. And then he says at the very end, grace be with you, And the new NIV translates it with you all, because it's plural. 
And so it's a personal letter to Timothy, this young church leader, but it's, 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 it's meant to be read out openly so that Timothy doesn't just read it on his own. The whole church know what the apostle has said to Timothy. So it answers this question, what kind of church leader should you be? And from chapter one, I want us to notice um, four features uh, from the chapter. And the first is this, and this is really verses one to five. It's that Timothy is, 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 is part of a, a great inheritance of faith. So just notice the affection that breathes through verses one to five. There's Paul Verse 1, writing to Timothy, his dear son. Verse 2, wishing him all God's blessings. Verse 2, grace, mercy, peace. And then verse 3, he says, I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul is praying for Timothy. Uh, they're, they're separated. Paul is in prison. Timothy is in Ephesus. And he remembers, verse 4, Timothy's tears which is probably the tears that Timothy shed when Paul was arrested and taken from him. We don't know the exact background. I remember your tears. There was tremendous affection and fondness and friendship and loyalty between these two. I remember your tears, and I long to see you, he says. It's a tremendous warmth of friendship here. I want to see you. And I've been reminded of your faith, genuine faith, sincere faith, Timothy had a, a, a grandmother who was a believer and a mother who was a believer, and now he's a believer. And, and the point really is that Timothy isn't just a Christian who's just sort of popped up out of nowhere. Timothy is a Christian who's become a Christian because other people were Christians before him, and they've passed on the message of the Lord Jesus to him. And, and he, there he is in Christian leadership. He's in Ephesus and for various reasons leading the churches there was tough um, as it always is uh, but he's 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 the heir of this great inheritance of faith from the apostle Paul from his grandmother from his mother and he's going to need that inheritance and that loyalty because of the the main point verses six to eight which is this if the first thing is that he's got this wonderful inheritance this loyalty people who've been believers and courageous believers before him. In verses 6 to 8, we learn that leadership comes with a cost. So verse 6, for this reason, because I love you, because you're a genuine believer, because you're the heir of this heritage of faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And the gift of God for Timothy seems to have been the gift of a pastor-teacher, who preaches and leads uh, the, 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 the church, to fan that into flame. It's in you through the laying on of my hands. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, there's a reference to the laying on of, of the hands of, of all the council of elders, a kind of ordination. Nothing magical about the apostle Paul, but, but Paul has been one who, who, with the council of elders, has ordained Timothy or commissioned him for this work in some way. And as they've done that, they've recognized the giftedness that Timothy has from, from God. And, and so he says, fan it into flame. Now, Paul goes on to say that, that, verse 7, God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity, of fearfulness, but rather of power, love, self-discipline. It's quite common to, for people to think, well, maybe Timothy was a timid 
person, timid Timothy. He may or may not have been, we don't know. Fanning into flame doesn't necessarily mean relighting a fire that's gone out. Fanning into flame can mean giving a good old poke with a poker to a fire that's already burning okay, just to keep it burning well. So it may be that he wasn't timid, but he will have been tempted to be timid. And the reason we'll see very soon. So verse 8, Paul says, don't be ashamed to testify. And he talks about three things. Three things Timothy's going to be tempted to be ashamed of as a church leader. First, don't be ashamed of to testify about our Lord. Just notice how Jesus is described there, testifying about Jesus Christ, but he's described as our Lord. And it's really significant that, because to tell people about Jesus can be a reasonably nice and innocuous thing to do. If the message I bring people is, you've got problems and Jesus is here to help you, mostly people are going to smile and nod and think, that sounds nice. They're not going to throw stones at you for that. But if you say, I want to bring you a message of Jesus, who is the Lord, who is the Master, who claims authority over every aspect of your life, then people are going to take offense. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed to tell people that Jesus is Lord of how we get money, how we spend money, what we do with personal relationships, what happens with sexual intimacy, what happens with greed, what happens with concern for justice, every area of life. He is Lord. Don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord Jesus. Second, he says, verse 8, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. You and I, I guess most of us, haven't lived in countries where there's upfront, explicit, violent persecution of Christians. If we had, we would know that the first people to get beaten up by the police and put in prison are the pastors, the ministers, the leaders. They're obviously the ones who are targeted by the authorities in North Korea, in northern Nigeria, places like that. They'll be the ones who are targeted. When a church leader is in prison, do you want to be associated with them? Answer, probably not. Yeah, I like being associated with famous people. I like being associated with people who are doing well in life. I like being able to say, I I, I was talking to somebody important the other day, that kind of thing. It's it's, it's a natural thing to, 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 to want to do. But when someone is in prison in chains, the lowest of the low, I don't want to say, actually, Paul, who's in a Roman prison, is my friend. So don't be ashamed of him. Now, Very often today, it's not that Paul is in prison anymore. He's with the Lord Jesus. But people are ashamed of Paul. Have you ever heard people say, well, I'm I'm fine with Jesus. I'm just not so keen on Paul. Because there are things Paul says that I don't like so much. Have you ever heard anyone say that? And Paul says, don't do that. Don't be ashamed of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, the apostle, his prisoner. And then he says, don't join with me in suffering for the gospel. So the Lord, Jesus, the Apostle, and the Gospel. And the Gospel is not just a general message of of Jesus as a kind of shapeless, 
icon of niceness that we might say to people, I just want to tell you Jesus um, as a meaningless thing. The gospel is a definite message, as we shall see um, in in a moment. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, a definite message about the holiness of God, the law of God, the justice of God, the kindness of God, the death of Jesus for sinners, the need to repent and trust in Jesus, the promise of the Spirit for those who do that, all of that. It's a definite message. Don't be ashamed of that. I was very challenged by Rico Tice's little book, Honest Evangelism, where he keeps coming, he has this little phrase, he probably used it here if you were here, about crossing the pain line of, of, of saying the hard things to people and, 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 and having the guts to do that. And I was very convicted of the number of times when I've been frightened to, um, to do that and have, have jacked out. So there's a cost to ministry, verses 6 to 8. Now, I'm going to speed through verses um, at the, the end of 8 through to 12 quite quickly. At the end of verse 8, he says, um, do all this by the power of God. And I think verses 9, 10, 11, 12 are talking about the power of God. So Timothy will say, how am I going to do that? How am I going to be the kind of courageous church leader who doesn't just say the nice things, but is prepared to say the things that our culture finds difficult? How am I going to do that? I'm going to need the power of God. And in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, Paul goes on a doctrinal romp. And he he romps through some wonderful truths. And we're going to romp through them quite quickly. So the power of God who saved us, who rescued us, called us to a holy life, called us to live godly lives under the lordship of Jesus. And he did it not because of anything we've done, it's but because of his own purpose and grace. It's pure, undeserved grace. And it was given us in Jesus before the beginning of time. It wasn't an afterthought. God had thought of this before time began. Now it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death for all who trust in him. He's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And and the, the, the sense here is, Timothy, you'll be frightened that if you're a courageous church leader, that if as a church leader you're prepared to say the hard things as well as the nice things, you'll be frightened that life will be difficult for you, and it will. But the God you trust is the God who brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's a little bit like the Lord Jesus saying to his disciples, don't be frightened. They can't harm you. They they might kill you, but they can't harm you. It's a sort of paradox, isn't it, Jesus says. You know, they might kill you. They, they probably will. But they can't harm you. You're safe in the end. And then verse 11, I was appointed a herald, someone to, to, to speak it loudly and clearly, an apostle with the unique authority of an apostle of Jesus and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. And Paul's conclusion, verse 12, I know the one I've believed in, And I'm sure he can guard what I'm entrusted to him. That is myself, my life, my soul, my destiny. I'm sure he can guard it. And so as I face death in a Roman prison, I say to you, Timothy, have the guts to be a courageous church leader. At which point you and I say to ourselves, if the leaders in your churches, as I hope and trust that they are, 
if they are that sort of church leader who will teach you the Bible faithfully, and when the Bible says things that our culture finds difficult, they'll say them. They won't get on a soapbox and rant, but they will say them. They'll be honest and faithful. And if you have church leaders like that, as I hope and trust that you do, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that they'll have a real confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The pressures, it's much easier for those who are members of churches to criticize church leaders than it is for church leaders to be courageous. When you're in the firing line, it's much harder. Pray for the ones with a high profile. Pray for the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's a believer. He loves the Lord Jesus. He will be under massive pressure that we can, we can hardly imagine to compromise on the truth of the Christian gospel and Christian ethics. Pray for him. Won't be easy. No easier for him than, than, than it was for Timothy in Ephesus. So there's this tremendous heritage of faith. There's this costliness, verses 6 to 8, being, being prepared to suffer. There's a tremendous confidence in verses 9 through to 12 in the God of the gospel. And then 13 and 14, there's a commission. And Paul says one thing in two ways. What you heard from me, that is the apostolic gospel, keep or guard as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard it. And then he says it the same thing in a different way, verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And the commission is that a church leader should guard and pass on the apostolic gospel. And I want to draw out some features of this. Notice first that it's apostolic. Paul says, I as the apostle have, have you've heard it from me. It was, it was passed on to you from me. And Paul is speaking of himself as an apostle, but he's also drawing in all the apostles of Jesus. The New Testament is, is the apostolic gospel. That's why the New Testament is so wonderful. It is the apostolic testimony to Jesus. So, so, so guard the apostolic gospel and pass that on. Second, notice in verse 13 that word sound. And sound simply means healthy or health-giving. The opposite of sound is poisonous. And he says, he says, this apostolic teaching that I've given you is sound. It will bring health and life to people. So guard it. Sometimes people joke about it, don't they? I, I tremble, really, when people in Christian circles joke about this, and they say, well, maybe I'm not being sound. Ha, ha. Nobody jokes about a cancer. Nobody says, I've got this growth in my body. I'm not certain whether it's um, malignant or not. Ha, 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 what a joke. Nobody says that, of course, because it's deadly serious. It may be life-threatening. And it's the same with apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching is sound. And it's vital that, that those of us who are entrusted with the church leadership teach healthy, life-giving teaching. If we don't, we're teaching poison. If we, if we cut bits out, we're teaching poison. If we add bits in, we're teaching poison. We must pass it on. It's sound, it's, it's healthy, it's life-giving. Um, and notice that it was entrusted to you at their ordination. 
a Christian leader is commissioned to take the apostolic teaching of Christ, to take the Bible. That's why so often at ordinations people are given a Bible. Seems a bit silly because by and large they probably had one already. Um, but, but there's something symbolic about it. You know, you get given a Bible when you're ordained and, and you want to say to the bishop or whatever, actually I've already got one, thanks. Um, but, but there's something symbolic about that. It's saying this is, your, this is what you're commissioned to pass on. This is your job to teach the Bible. And so you say of church leaders when they're teaching the Bible, they may not be, you know, the, the, the kind of magnificent speaker who sets the world alight. They, they, they may be more humdrum. Most of us are. But if they're, if they're opening up the Bible and teaching us the Bible faithfully, we pray for them. We, we encourage them. We're glad to belong to the churches that they, 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 they lead. So we guard them. Verses 15 to 18 is a little bit of a, a sort of postscript, but I'll, I'll, it, it picks up this theme of loyalty again. So verse 15, Paul says, everyone in the province of Asia, that's the Roman province of Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey pretty much, um, they deserted him, including a couple of uh, people, Phygelus and Hermogenes. We don't know quite what this was. I think probably... Paul was arrested and there was a preliminary hearing, perhaps in Ephesus or somewhere in Asia Minor, a preliminary hearing before the Roman authorities, and people who should have stood up for him didn't. They were disloyal. I think that's probably what it was. People he might have hoped and expected would stand by him just, just ran scared the moment he, he, he was arrested. I think that's probably what it was, and it really hurt you know, to be betrayed like that. Not the first to be betrayed, of course. But uh, he knew what it was to be betrayed. But then verse 16, there's this guy Onesiphorus. And Paul is so grateful to him because he was the opposite. So Phygelus and Hermogenes ran scared. Um, they deserted the apostle at his time of need. But Onesiphorus who may have been a traveling merchant or something, who traveled to Rome from Asia Minor. We don't know, but for some reason he's in Rome. And he often refreshed Paul. You don't get food and drink in a Roman prison. It's not like a British prison where it's provided. If you don't have people who bring you food and drink and clothing, you starve and freeze. And Onesiphorus refreshed him. He wasn't ashamed of his chains. He, 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 when he was in Rome, perhaps on business, he searched hard for me. You can imagine this merchant, can't you? Perhaps a respectable man going around. I'm trying to find a Roman prisoner called Paul. Oh, really? Is he a friend of yours? Yes, he's a friend of mine. And he went round Rome until he found Paul, until he found him, verse 17. And, and it seems that... that Perhaps he's died, and, and, and Paul is so grateful, verse 18, um, for all he's done, how many ways he helped him in Ephesus, and then again in Rome. There's that loyalty. So, friends, here's the thing, and I want to try and um, press this home, because this is very important for us, very important for us. We live in an age, and particularly in the Church of England, I don't know if, how many of you are in Church of England, churches, when the gospel of the Lord Jesus is under tremendous attack, the truth of the lordship of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, that forgiveness of sins is to be found only in him is under attack, 
Christian living and holiness is under attack. I suppose the hot-button issue is sexual morality, but if it isn't that, there'll be others. And Christian leaders are under tremendous pressure just to soften the difficult bits of the gospel and just to say the kinds of things which will be acceptable, where nobody will oppose them. And everybody will smile and say how nice we are, and they will call us loving. But actually, we're not being loving if we don't tell them the truth about God. And so I want to to say to to you, most of you who, who aren't in leadership, will you pray for the leaders in your churches and leaders with a higher profile in our nation? Will you pray for them? Pray that they will have the courage to stand for our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the apostles, including the Apostle Paul, and for the gospel uh, in the face of pressure. When they do that, will you encourage them? Drop them a note. Message them. Maybe be old school and write them a card. Really old. Do you, do you know paper? Um, the old Chinese invention and, um, you know, pens and things. Drop them a card to encourage them. It means a lot. You know, you feel vulnerable and exposed as a church leader. You know you've had to say something tough on a, on a, a Sunday or some other meeting. And you feel exposed. And, and one or two Christian uh, friends write you a little card saying, thanks so much for saying that. I know it wasn't easy. Great thing to do, to encourage them to, to do that. If they're not doing that, it may be that some of you will be senior lay leaders in, in some churches. I don't know which churches you come to. I'm not talking about this church, but, but, but maybe some churches you go to and you, you think, well, I'm not sure that they are doing that. It may be you can gently get alongside them and just encourage them to do that and to say, look, this is really important. Don't, don't neglect to say the difficult things really important. What sort of church leader should you trust? And when in due course you do what I'm doing, which is to move out of London and you find somewhere else to live, and you're thinking, where am I going to join a church? Go, don't don't, don't jump in straight away. Go for a few weeks. Listen. Watch the church leaders. Listen. Are they opening up the Bible faithfully? It doesn't matter if there's tremendous razzmatazz and charisma and, you know, it doesn't matter if they're zippy and all all the sort of superficial things that we think matter but don't. Are they opening up the Bible? Are they being faithful? Are they saying the hard things as well as the nice things? And if they are, go and join them and encourage them and pray for them and uh, they will thank God for you. If they're not, um, you may want to find somewhere else to join. I'm going to stop there. It's, a, it's about quarter two, and I'm going to suggest, uh, Pat, tell me if, if, this is, if I've got this right, that we spend a bit of time in our groups talking about um, the kinds of things we look for in church leaders, or if we are church leaders, the kinds of things we seek to be, the pressure points. Just talk about that for a little bit, but particularly to pray for our church leaders. Would that be all right? just to pray for our church leaders, um, you, the leaders of the local churches to which we all belong, um, but also higher profile leaders as well. That'd be okay. Great to see so much prayer going on. Please do finish up your prayers in your own time. Just to say, um, 
It's gone eight o'clock. Fantastic to see you gents here. We're back here in two weeks' time. Uh, I believe it's David Jackman in two weeks' time taking us on in 2 Timothy. What a great start today. I hope you feel encouraged to live and stand for the Lord, to not be ashamed um, wherever, uh, well, wherever you go from here, in your places of work, in your churches, in this great city. Uh, we need men standing for the gospel, standing for the Lord. So um, do that, and um, to speed you on your way, do take another croissant on your way out. There's plenty left, um, and Rico's book is just on the right. If, if you have money, perhaps keep it separate to the donations box, which is on your left. Many thanks, gents. See you in a couple of weeks.